Welcome to week three of the goal, our series that's based on the book of Philippians. And if you look in the front of the bulletin or up here on the slide, uh, the graphic for the series is those uprights, those goalposts for football. And when a football team's kicker aims at these, he can't be off a few degrees to the left or to the right, or he's going to miss that goal. And when he kicks the ball, he doesn't focus on the crowd in the stands, and he doesn't focus on the team. He focuses on the uprights, the goal, and kicks the ball straight through there. Frame the ball in those uprights to kick it and make the goal. And that's the same for us in our lives. If we are not lined up with God's word, we're going to miss the goal of living for Jesus Christ. Paul talked about this in Philippians 1.21. We talked about this the last couple of weeks, where Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Our way of approaching God, our faith, the way we live our lives, shows what the focus of our lives is. So what are you personally known for? What would people say was the focus of your life? And today, we're going to discuss how to reframe your thinking so that our focus is on the things of God and must come from a revelation of God to us. But we can position ourselves to receive that revelation from Him. The things we spend most of our time on are probably our real focus. And so we need to pray about that. Is what I'm doing in line with the plans that God has for me? How does this accomplish His will? And how does this thing that I'm doing help me to reach the world around me for Jesus Christ? So today, let's continue. Turn to Philippians 2.19, and we'll continue to see what God's Word tells us about how to focus on the things of God. You know, in the previous passages of Philippians, Paul has challenged us to, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live in the power of humility, to be like Jesus Christ in all we do, so we will shine like the stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life to those around us. So Philippians 2.19, and we'll read through 3.11. I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father he has served me with the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. 
For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul describes these two followers of Jesus Christ who are ministering with him, and he's holding these two up as examples of what it looks like to be focused on the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his first example is Timothy. Some things we learn about Timothy as we're reading this is he said he's like nobody else. He's really an example to the church of selfless giving, uh, an example of servant leadership, as Pastor Steve mentioned last week. Timothy is taking this genuine interest in the things that need to be looked at for taking care of the other followers of Jesus. He cares about their welfare, not just spiritually, but also physically, and he's helping to provide for their needs. In verse 21, Paul says that most people don't do this. He compares them, he's saying, you know, Timothy is like this, but most people actually are just looking out for themselves. And he's saying, you know, they're striving for, they're desiring and asking for the things that will benefit them, that are not looking out for you, and they're not looking out for the things of Jesus Christ. Timothy wasn't like that. He served in the work of the gospel with Paul. And Paul says he's proved himself. And that proof doesn't mean like, yeah, he's been talking with, with Paul and Paul gets it. No, proving means that he's gone through a time of testing. He's gone through some difficult situations. And he has hung in there in those tough assignments. And he didn't go after the things that would only benefit him personally. He's looked at a bigger picture. He's willing to lay down his life for others. And he, he's doing this in order that people will come to know Jesus Christ and that the gospel will be advanced. He wasn't faking righteousness. It, there, it, Paul says he's genuine. There's a genuineness about him. He's not just putting on this mask on Sunday, being all righteous on Sunday morning and coming to church and then living like he feels like the rest of the week all for himself and not even thinking about God. He's really allowing Jesus Christ to shine through him in everything that he does during the week. He's real. He's the real deal. And Timothy, Paul says, he's like my son. There's such a connection between them. And all of us, I just want to encourage us today, all of us need somebody in our life like a Paul, and we all need somebody in our life like a Timothy. Uh, you need someone who can speak into your life. Until the day you die, really, uh, who can help you have the right focus for that stage of life that you're in. 
And you never retire from the things of Jesus Christ when you're a follower of his. So you're always going to need to have somebody like that. And it shouldn't just be a spouse. It should be someone who's a trusted friend or a leader that can speak into your life and say, hey, uh, you know what? I just really see stuff in you that God is doing. And then we need somebody like Timothy for us as well. We need somebody we can speak into their life. We can help mentor them in the things of faith, help them in their walk with God, help them develop their calling and their focus. And someone for whom we can be a cheerleader. We can be an encourager, not like we're going to go boss them around and tell them what to do, but we can say, that was so good when you listened to God and did that. That was so great when you went through that tough time and you hung in there and you really trusted God encourage them and let them know that we see God's hand in their lives and in what they're doing. And Paul here, he's not just bragging on Timothy, saying, man, this guy's really good. He's holding him up as an example of what it means to be focused on Jesus Christ, to live a life that honors Jesus. He's holding him up as an example for that church in Philippi. And Paul is sending Timothy back to the church as his representative until he can get there so that Timothy can help teach them and train them in the things of the Lord. And Paul says, you know what? I am confident in the Lord. That's something that's really good. That means that Jesus has persuaded Paul. God has spoken to him about what his will is for Paul. And Paul is obedient to that in his life. And as the result of that revelation from God, his thinking's been reframed. He's able to focus on what it is God's wanting to do. He's confident in the things of the Lord. Then the next example that Paul gives them is of Epaphroditus. And not only is Timothy being sent, but also Epaphroditus. Paul mentions this guy is our brother in the Lord. He's a, a fellow worker, a fellow servant, a fellow soldier who was sent as your messenger to me. He's, the church in Philippi asked Epaphroditus and commissioned him to go to represent them to Paul and to help care for Paul on their behalf. Because in these times, if you were in prison, like Paul was in prison when he wrote this book, it was up to your friends and your family to help take care of you. You didn't, you didn't get it all taken care of. You didn't have three square meals a day unless your friends and your family stepped up and helped provide clothing and food and bedding and finances. You were, you were out of luck. And so this church in Philippi, this little church in Philippi, had stepped up and taken on this ministry for Paul. I think it's so cool that this little church in Philippi didn't see that they were too small to do anything. It's, it's kind of like us, isn't it? The size of the church does not necessarily determine if we can have a global impact. And as you know, we here at South Oaks do. We just want to be obedient to do what God calls us to do, to be faithful to give, like that little church in Philippi, and to give more than just a, a tip to God. You know, we want to be generous toward God and generous to the things of God that God is using us to do that we are able to do things like wells in India and help with churches, building churches in Romania and doing all kinds of support of missionaries all around the world. That's the cool part that does not matter that you're small. Same for you in your life. It doesn't matter if you think, well, what can this be? I, I only have this to offer. 
do what God has put on your heart to do, and God will use it in a mighty way. So this church is generous and blessing Paul. The other thing about this that Paul mentions in there is that there's a blessing for those who give. God's word says there's a blessing for those who give. A protection from the attacks of the enemy. His word says that. And this church is giving not because of that necessarily, but that's a benefit that we can come to uh, give out of the generousness of our heart and know that God has promised us in his word that he protects our rest of our stuff from the devourer. How cool is that? It's not just money, though. We want to give of ourselves, too, and that's what Epaphroditus did. He's giving of himself here. He uh, traveled all the way to accomplish what the church had felt led to do. But then an unexpected development. He became ill. And Paul said not only was he ill, but he almost died he was so ill. And it could have been malaria. That was something that people got back then or some infectious disease as he was traveling. Whatever it was, he became very, very ill and ended up being ill while he was with Paul. And Paul says, but God had mercy on him. But God had mercy on him. This speaks of this covenant mercy that we get as we follow Jesus Christ. It's, it's a mercy as God defines it. It's in accordance with his truth. Well, because Epaphroditus was following the will of God, it didn't mean he got to escape being ill, but it did mean that God's covenant mercy saved him from death. And God didn't let him die. So imagine the testimony he had after that when he goes back to the church in Philippi to tell him how God has saved him and brought him back to health. Paul tells the church there that, you know, I'm sending him back to you. Please welcome him and honor him. Uh, many of you probably have a testimony like that too, right? But for God's mercy on you, you would be living a whole different story right now. And so because of that, we want to give praise to God and we want to tell about his mercy and grace that kept you and still keeps you. And part of that is sharing when God does stuff like that, sharing with the rest of the body and letting them know what God has done. And Paul says, welcome him, honor him, receive him with great joy. And that's how we want to minister to each other as well. When you've been sick or when you've been through a difficult time, let us rejoice with you. Let us honor you and honor God for what has happened in your life, for the story of God's mercy. And Epaphroditus had this awesome testimony of God's mercy in his life. He followed the call of God in his life, and he aimed for that goal that God had given him. So sometimes it seems like there might be, we're aiming for that goal, but maybe there's barriers in the way. So what do you think? is the biggest barrier blocking you from reaching your goal today. Just turn to the person next to you and just a couple of words. Just say, what do you think is the biggest barrier that's blocking you from hitting the goal that God has for you? Okay. So anyone care to share about a barrier? Or I even don't want to put you on the spot, but... What are some barriers sometimes that keep people from accomplishing the goals that God has for them? Doubt. Yeah, it's a big one. Anything else? Worry. 
Yeah, definitely. How fear? How busyness? Yeah. Oh yeah. How about finances? Sometimes we feel like we don't have enough money. Yeah. All of these things, and we'll talk about, like, okay, how do you overcome that, that kind of stuff? What is, what is the deal with that? You know, where does that come from? See, when we're following Jesus and aiming for that goal, the other thing we need to factor in here, too, is, is this goal a goal from God, or is this just something I really want to do? So we have to understand that if it is a goal from God, how do we go about accomplishing it? How do we make sure that all of these things that we've listed that we just talked about don't get in our way of, of accomplishing what God has given us? How do we make sure we're aiming for God's goal? Well, in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. And he doesn't say if things are going well. He's just told us all about Epaphroditus and all this stuff. And then he says, Rejoice in the Lord. So it's obviously not dependent on our circumstances. So no matter what happens, if our focus is on Jesus Christ and living in a way that glorifies him, Paul's saying rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. So if you're in that difficult situation, if you're very ill, if you have a job where you have that one person that no one could get along with as your coworker, rejoice in the Lord. And Paul says that to rejoice in the Lord is actually a safeguard. That means that my focus and your focus is on the Lord and not on those things that are messing with us. They're not on that person, not on the situation, but on Jesus Christ. And we look to him each day. We look to him when it gets hard. We look to him and pray and read his word and we ask others to intercede on our behalf and don't get distracted by the other junk that the devil's trying to derail us with. And it's a safeguard for us in following the will of God. So when the worry and the anxiety and all the other junk the enemy is trying to throw at you comes your way, you can just say, you know what? I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. It's a safeguard for me in following his will. A really good example of this is in World War II. Corrie Ten Boom and her family were Christians that lived in um, the Netherlands. They helped some of the Jewish people escape the Nazi Holocaust. And eventually they were found out. They were thrown into uh, a labor camp. Corey and her sister Betsy were in a Nazi women's labor camp. And circumstances were horrific in that camp. There, it was terrible. I know you've seen things as you grew up and went to classes in school. You, you heard about how terrible those situations were. The situations in their barrack that Betsy and Corey were in were even worse. There were fleas. It was so terrible. Corey kept complaining to God about it every day. God, please, can't you do something about this? But suddenly she realized God revealed to her that the fleas actually kept the guards out of that barrack and that enabled them then to lead these worship services, to talk to the women about Jesus Christ and lead many of the women there to know the Lord, to follow Jesus as their Savior. God allowed the things that were despised, I mean, I wouldn't want a bunch of fleas in my house, would you? God, Corey realized that God used those things that were despised to protect her ministry with those ladies. Corey's thinking was reframed by a revelation from God. 
and she recognized the benefits of the situation, fulfilling the will of God in her life and accomplishing the ministry he had given her to do at that time. So she rejoiced in the Lord for the fleas. She rejoiced in the Lord for the fleas. And when we allow God to reveal the truth of our situation to us, when we allow God to reframe our thinking, we can truly rejoice for those things that we might not like, the things we really don't want, even the things that seem to be despised in our life. When we see them as the tools that God is using to accomplish his will in our life for us to work toward the goal he's given us. Now, not every problem is from God, but sometimes God will allow a certain thing to accomplish his will in us. We just need to be seeking God on what that is and rejoicing as we pray for God's will. The second aim to reach the goal is to be aware of the enemy's plans, okay? You might be working toward a goal and suddenly, all of a sudden, oops, there's this diversion or an attack, some kind of distraction, and it's pulling you off of what you're, you know, you've got this goal, you're working toward it, and boom, right? You all know what I'm talking about. And when that happens, if we're not careful, what we can do is get so wrapped up in that, so caught up in that diversion of the enemy that we're taking our eyes off of Jesus Christ. And all of our focus is on that. Well, Paul tells these believers, beware be observant and watchful and ask God for discernment here because we don't want to allow things in our life that further the plans of the devil. And Paul calls these agents of the devil in what he's written to us that we're studying today, dogs. And to really get what he's saying, we have to understand that dogs, a loose dog was disdained in those days because they could run around. Well, I wouldn't like it today either, would you know? <laughs> they can do damage and they can attack. And the dogs here that Paul is talking about represent spiritual predators. Uh, these were people in the church who became a, a lot like Pharisees in Judaism. They were telling people that the truth of the gospel, that's just not enough. I mean, they wanted to add to it. They, they said, you know, circumcision, dietary laws, and Sabbath-keeping, all of that, plus Jesus Christ, is what you need for salvation. Well, that's not what God's Word says. God's Word says it's Jesus Christ that saves us. It's not all of these other things. And they were trying to heap onto this stuff, just like the Pharisees did for the Jews, to make it about more than the simple truth of the gospel. And the council in Jerusalem, the apostles had met and said, no, it's not about all the laws. It's about Jesus Christ. But here's some other good stuff to do. And Paul mentions in Galatians 3, 2 to 3, uh, that church struggled with the same thing, apparently. He said, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? or by believing what you heard. And see, that's the deal. The works of the law, he's meaning you didn't receive the Spirit by accomplishing these works of the law. No, you, you believed what you heard. So then he says in verse 3, Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And the problem is that when you add on to what God says, 
You're in an area then where you're operating in your own strength. You're operating in the flesh because you're trying to keep this list of rules. So you're not being obedient to God and what he's putting in your heart to do. Instead, what you are doing is being obedient to rules. We need our, our hearts to be listening to the Holy Spirit and to the word of God and to do what he tells us to do. God's word isn't about a checklist of things that we have to do in order to earn grace or salvation. 2 Timothy 1.9 tells us that we're saved by God's purposes and his grace and not by anything we've done. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us by grace we've been saved and not of our works. It's a gift. We don't earn salvation. We don't earn God's grace. We don't earn his favor. We don't earn the strength that we need to live the Christian life by living a checklist either. We want to walk out our faith each day and from our hearts that love him, we want to live lives that honor and glorify him. But the living the life that honors and glorifies him isn't what's giving us the relationship with God. So Paul is saying these guys are dogs. These are spiritual predators in your midst. They're adding on to the word of God. And he says they're mutilators of the flesh. And what's interesting here is the term mutilator in Greek is actually a play on the uh, term for circumcision. And because of the fact that circumcision wasn't necessary for salvation, it actually put that act into the pagan rituals that are described in Leviticus, where God says, don't fall into that. So Paul's telling the Philippians, and he says, you know what? Actually, we are the circumcision ourselves. That's kind of cool. He's using a metaphor here. He's like talking about describing the separation from the unclean, the old things of the past, the sins of our old self, and being consecrated instead to God. And we're killing off those old passions and spiritual impurities through Jesus Christ. And we ourselves then are the circumcision. In Romans 2, verse 29, it says that our hearts are changed. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. So that's the deal. If we're trying to live to impress other people and keep that checklist, Paul says such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So when our hearts are right, it's like the Holy Spirit circumcises our heart and makes us want to be that person that honors and glorifies God. So the aim for aiming for the goal of God, we first need to uh, rejoice in the Lord. We second need to be aware of the plans of the enemy. And third, we know, lastly, that we have to have confidence in the right things. Paul says the enemy would have you focus on all this stuff of the flesh, all of your own efforts, things you do in your own power, the things that God isn't necessarily calling you to do, and he's saying, no, have your confidence in the right thing, in the glory of Jesus Christ. No confidence in the flesh. And this term is different than the term he used earlier where he talks about confidence in Jesus Christ. What this means is he's saying, we don't want to have confidence in the flesh. We don't want to be persuaded by human reasoning. We don't want to trust in our own efforts. We don't want to be misled by any lie of the enemy. And Paul says, you know what, if anybody could trust in themselves, in their flesh, in their own efforts and accomplishments, 
it's probably me. Because let me tell you who I am, my heritage, so to speak. He says, I'm, I was circumcised on the eighth day. So that means his family's doing everything in accordance with the law. They kept the Jewish traditions. He says, I'm of the people of Israel. He's a, a covenant member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. And this was important because not everybody at that time, because they had been scattered all over the world, not everybody knew what tribe they were from anymore. He was tr from the tribe of Benjamin. King Saul was who his Jewish name was named after, Saul. Uh, he, also, he was educated by one of the most prominent members at that day of the tribe of Benjamin, Gamaliel. He was one of the most eminent Pharisee teachers, rabbis of that time. Then Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And what that means is that there's no Gentile blood in his family line. It's a pure family line. And they still spoke the original Aramaic and Hebrew in the home, as opposed to those that had started speaking Greek or the other languages of wherever they were. And then he says, as to the law of Pharisee, and what he means is the Pharisee said, uh, we are like this select group, we are, and their name actually means to separate. And so they separated themselves off from anything that would appear evil, anything that wouldn't appear pious or righteous. And that, while that might have been a good, good thing to live that way, unfortunately for them, it became a source of pride. And because they were operating under the checklist system, they made a point that everybody knew they were and how righteous they really were. Then he says, I'm zealous. Look, I, look how zealously, I, when I thought I saw something wrong with the new church, I went after it. So he's zealous. And then he says, as to legalistic righteousness, faultless. This is someone who before... Paul's life before, he's living off a checklist of things deemed to be righteous. He's focused on the actions of being perfect, faultless. And while on the outside everything can seem to be good, and while on the outside we can be saying, I'm doing this, 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 I'm not doing anything wrong. Look, I've done all of these things. His heart wasn't right. He didn't have the right relationship with God. He wasn't genuine. He was wearing this mask, and he had missed the mark of the relationship with God. And Paul paints this big picture of his former self so they can see, you know, if anyone could trust in all of this stuff of the flesh, all of their human efforts, all of the stuff they were born into, all of this, it would be me. But let me tell you guys, that's not important. And actually, as Paul described this as being worthless, there are people around us in the world today who kind of live a little bit like that, don't they? They think that, you know what, man, I'm so glad I'm better than them. I don't live like that. Thank God for that. And the heart is wrong because they don't have hearts that are filled with love and compassion for the people that are lost around them. They have hearts filled with hatred for those who haven't been able to figure out what the checklist is and how to follow it. And they go after those who are in error. Paul used to be that way. But he said, I'm changed. Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And we all can too if we allow Jesus in our lives. If we confess him as Lord and Savior and realize that all of that stuff like Paul described, it's like filthy rags, he, it says in Isaiah 64. All our righteousness is like filthy rags. And Paul tells us that all of this important, really awesome, marvelous heritage that he had, it's no longer profitable to him. 
he says, it's actually loss. It's like rubbish. It's like garbage. And the root of this word garbage, it's like something so terrible, you would throw it out, and it's not even fit for dogs. It's like another word when you look at the Greek can actually mean dung. And so all of these marvelous things that look like they're pretty impressive that Paul could say of himself before he came to know Jesus Christ, he says, I'm throwing them out. They're worthless. So have you done that with the things of the flesh? Have you thrown it out? Things that you might think, these are pretty good. Actually, they're pretty good. And you might be tempted to say, I kind of got some favor with God because I'm, I'm doing this right. Have you left that down at the foot of the cross and let that go? Because anything we've done, it shouldn't be to pat ourselves on the back or to check off a box on a checklist and make us think that we've arrived and that somehow we're now in that category of faultless. The things that Paul said mattered. Those things that we want to have confidence in, it's in verse 8. The surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ for whose sake I have lost all things. The surpassing greatness, the amazing, the above all, the beyond anything, the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, having that relationship with Jesus Christ that guides and directs our actions, our words, and our thoughts each day. And anything we could do in our own strength, we just let it be loss. We want to do things in his power and his strength because he is above all powers and principalities. He is the name above every name. He is the name that someday everyone in heaven and earth and under the earth will bow before him. <clears throat> Knowing Jesus and his surpassing greatness, that's our confidence. That's our source of strength. And Paul said, I'm willing to lose it all just to gain Christ. See, God had changed his thinking. God had revealed to him what was truly important and what eternal gain was. In verse 10, he says, I just want to know Christ. I just want to know Jesus Christ. Is that the cry of your heart? I just want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection, that dunamis power, that explosive, life-changing power of God in his life, of, of his resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. When we know Jesus Christ and his power in our lives, we can say with Paul, yeah, even sharing in the sufferings. If you've ever been in a time in your life where you've experienced suffering and you know that God is allowing that in your life, you, you know then what Paul's talking about, the fellowship of his sufferings. There's a sweetness of the presence of God in our lives then the power of Jesus Christ that you cannot know at any other time. Unless you're going through that time of suffering, going through that time of difficulty, and you're pressing in to Jesus Christ. And you allow it to draw you closer to him. Paul says, I want to become like him. And that's part of what that suffering is. It's bringing us into 
alignment with who Jesus Christ is. It's like conforming us to his image, pressing us into that mold of Jesus Christ so we become like Jesus. And someday, we, like Christ, will rise to eternal life. That's pretty cool, huh? We'll see that the goal of following the will of God in our lives, of aiming for the things that he's calling us to, that is the real game. That is the real game. The surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord. Would you stand with me as we close? As we close today, I just ask everyone just just to bow your head and just reflect on this and just think about, have you, as you've been living your life, have you listened to the voices of the enemy and his agents that have told you to put confidence in something other than God? And is there an area that you have in your life where you're not trusting God with it? And then secondly, are you putting your confidence in the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ? See, Paul said people who are just trusting in their own efforts at legalism, they, they might think they're superior to others, but that's not the superiority I want in my life. Paul said, I want the superiority of Jesus Christ his all-surpassing greatness in me. If you want to make sure today that your aim is on the things of God in your life, that you're not being distracted by the things that the enemy wants to throw your way, and that your confidence is in him and his will for you, if you want to take a stand today and say, yes, Lord, I want that for me, just raise your hand. Thank you, God. Dear Lord, we thank you that Paul makes it so clear about aiming for the things in his life that were the things that you had given him to accomplish. Father, I pray that we would surrender it all to you too. Lord, that we would realize that the things of the flesh, the things of our own effort, where we're trying to be accomplishing something to make us feel like we've earned favor with you. Lord God, that we would lay that down, that we, Father, would have our confidence in you, that we would rejoice in the things that you bring our way. And, Father, that we would not be distracted by the enemy. Help us, Lord, have lives that are aligned with the things of God. Reframe our thinking, Father. Give us revelation of your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen.